At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Bill McDorman from SeedSave.org to talk about seeds and playful plant breeding. Bill McDorman is the executive director of Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance in Ketchum, Idaho. He got his start in the bioregional seed movement while in college in 1979 when he helped start Garden City Seeds. In 1984, he started Seeds Trust High Altitude Gardens, a mail-order seed company he ran successfully until he sold it in 2013. In 1994, he authored the book Basic Seed Saving, and in 2010, he and his wife, Belle Starr, created Seed School, a nationally recognized week-long seed training. He served as executive director of Native Seeds Search from 2011 to 2014. Bill is a passionate and knowledgeable presenter who inspires his audience to learn to save their own seeds. Welcome to the show today, Bill. Welcome uh, to you too. I'm so happy to be here. I've heard rumors about this and <laughs> I finally get a partake. This Yay. is great. Yay. Uh, so just a little bit of background for Bill and I. Uh, we've known each other, what, for a decade? Yeah, just and, about 10 years. Yeah, For about 10 years. And we played a lot in this arena of, uh, of uh, teaching people about seeds and gardening and that kind of stuff. So there's a Bill and I have a, a, a history around creating cool things in the world around this stuff. In fact, I'm surprised they still let us um, play, play <laughs> let together. Us play together. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. So I just shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks and tell us how you got here today in the whole seed movement? Well, it, you know, all great stories start really simply, probably. I, you know, my whole story started when I tried to find seeds for my own garden. Okay. I, I had moved to Missoula, Montana in 1976, mm-hmm. and I bought a house. I had saved up $1,300 for a down payment, and I was going to go back to school and finish, and I knew I was going to be there for a while, so I bought a little house. And, mm-hmm. and so here's a, here's a great question, though. What were you going back to school for? Well, you know, at that point, I was going to go to law school. Yeah, I, I uh, wanted yeah. to finish okay. my undergrad uh-huh. and go to law school, and there was a great law school there, and I thought, this is it. So... Um, Mrs. Sorgi's tomatoes. That's what the rumor around north side of Missoula was that Mrs. Sorgi had the best tomatoes ever. Uh-huh. And it turns out I bought her house and had her famous garden in my backyard. No. And so I had this awesome responsibility. It had not been um, grown on for three or four years. It had been right. rusting and weed infested or whatever. But so I was going to open up this sacred ground. Uh-huh. And so... In the, 1976. Right. And, wow. And my very first garden by myself. Mm-hmm. So I've got to have the best seeds. Right. And that started me on a journey to try to find them. And that 
That's why I'm here today. I'm still trying to find still them. trying to find the best seeds. Yeah, and I'm trying. You know, there's a lot to learn about what's happened to the seed industry. Where, where do they come from? Who's growing them? What does that really mean? And uh -huh. and so, you know, I thought it would take, you know, a few days to find great seeds. Right. It it, it turned out that we ended up starting a nonprofit um, in my house. Um, starting sort of an urban farm project uh -huh. in 1979 in Missoula that became um, the Missoula Urban Demonstration Project, which is still there to wow. this day, the nonprofit. We started a little seed company to distribute the seeds that we had found. I thought, wow, three or four year project, and uh, <laughs> yeah, 34 years. 34 years, years there you there, go. Or whatever years later, it's still still working on it. Wow. So, and along the way, you've you've been some places like Russia looking for seeds, yes? Well, am I, you know, I'm a mountain boy. I grew up at 6,000 feet in the mountains of central Idaho. So when I finally did um, get, actually, I just got burned out of the project. I ended up graduating. Um, I didn't, I chose not to go to law school and instead working on, worked on Garden City Seeds, a small seed company that we had started mm -hmm. for the nonprofit. Um, it was time for me to take a break. So I went back home to Sun Valley, Idaho, where I grew up. And I wasn't there too long before I started another little seed company. You know, that I, I guess Can't underlying... Can't help yourself, can you? Well, if you're going to find the best seeds, they've got to be adapted to where you are. Uh -huh. And uh, so the idea of finding seeds that would work for people that lived in the high, highest, coldest places of the mm -hmm. Mountain West made sense. So I started a company called High Altitude Gardens. Oh. And um, so that became my... my uh, for 25 years, that's really what I did, right. was was try to find seeds for those things. And that took me to places like the high mountains of Guatemala. I ended up in Siberia, behind the Iron Curtain at one point. And you're going, what am I doing here? Wow. <laughs> but I did find in some... In search of seeds, baby. Well, you know, the idea that was floating around is that at the time is that we were going to lose about 80% of all the varieties that made up our food supply. And so if you think about that, that's all the uh, ecological and cultural niches. Mm -hmm. It took humanity 10,000 years to create. And we were living in an industrial age that was going to see 80% of those disappear. It turns out that 90% I was going to say, the, the, more than 80%. Right. At the time, right? we were looking forward in the in late 70s, early 80s, and those were the predictions. So, you know, I was a good Boy Scout. I thought, wow, somebody ought to scurry around as quickly as possible and find everything that's left and at least save that. Right. And get that back out so we don't lose it. And mm -hmm. so that was the impetus behind going to Siberia and these other places. It's like, we, we're in a really cold, short season. I'll bet they have stuff that works in uh, Siberia. Right. And But at the time, if you think, no internet, no real way to tell what was going to be there. I didn't even know what to pack. Mm -hmm. I was going to be there in August. Does it snow in August? You know, it was really hard. I went through old National Geographic's. And uh, when I got there, it was just a dream. I found out that everybody there that I met gardened. Uh huh. Imagine living in one of the cities, 1.2 million people, Novosibirsk, um, modern city, eight major universities, 70,000 PhDs, modern subway, and everybody gardens. And in addition to that, everybody saved their own seeds, at least something. Nice. And, then, and traded. And, right. And so I've been accused of being this you know, maniacal advocate for everybody in America to save their own 
garden seeds. And it's like, Bill, that's unrealistic. We're modern people. We're busy. We have to specialize and all that stuff. And I'm, and I, and I realized yeah. I got ruined in Nova Sibiris because I've seen it. Right. And we can all do that. And it makes yeah. everything better. Yeah. Everybody has a connection to the earth mm-hmm. and each other in a really new fundamental way that we just don't have here. Well, that was in the 70s, right? Yeah, that was. I would, last year, in 2014, I was in Croatia for two weeks on a food systems trip with Arizona State University. Everybody gardens there. Yes. They opened up a 200-plot community garden in this little town that I was in. Right. And within 30 days, all 200 plots were gone. Wow. Every yard, as I would go through the yard, you know, through the neighborhoods, every yard had food growing. Right. It was mind blowing. So right. it's possible and it's right. probable. We just have to wake up to it. Well, and this is not going back. You right. Know, that's exactly. What, you're around modern people like that, and yeah. what you realize is that it's just better. Everybody's healthier. They've got better food, and they understand the cycles of our environment mm-hmm. better, which is what one could argue we need every American to do right now. Yes. To understand what's happening to us with climate change and to yeah. survive it. You know, yeah. we need to slow down, ground ourselves. Plant a garden. Plant a garden and get involved in these longer cycles. And we can do that when we get involved with seeds. Right. It's easy. So, yeah. playful plant breeding. You told, you dared me to try and say that 10 times fast, but I don't know that I could do that. <laughs> right. Playful plant breeding. Just playful do it. You don't breeding. have to playful say plant. it. There you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just do it. So, what's that mean? Um... What it means is that every individual, whether you've ever gardened or not, Uh or whether you've gardened and never saved seeds, Mm -hmm. or you've got your PhD in plant genetics, everybody should be involved in growing and saving some seeds. Okay. And you should do it playfully and happily. Mm -hmm. And there are no mistakes. Every mistake you have turns out to be your greatest advantage. And I'm not talking about not doing it well. And I'm not talking about abandoning the science that it takes to do these sorts of things well. Mm-hmm. What, I'm recogn- what I hope people will recognize is that over 10,000 years or however long agriculture humans have been doing it, uh, we, cr- we collectively created everything we eat in mm-hmm. our modern food system mm-hmm. uh, by doing this. Right. Playful plant breeding, just saving seeds from something that worked for us or something that didn't, didn't work for us. Just yeah. paying attention and being part of this process, and it all happened before we even did, Mendel even discovered what genetics mm-hmm. was about, and everybody was involved, and that's how you get diversity. So, in other words, if you want to summarize what I've just said, is that it is wholly appropriate to steward seeds for diversity, mm-hmm. for food for resilience, for us, in a grassroots manner, with people that have no idea what how they're doing. Do that. yep. Because that's how we, that's, that's just a recognition of the 10,000 years it took to create everything that you see around us. Mm-hmm. And when you make a mistake, guess what? You may, a genetic mistake, things get crossed up. I'm, you know, my, I'm always talking about pump zinis. I saw, uh-huh. I saw a broccoli the other day, which was a broccoli with um, purple little frilled um, kales coming out of oh, the side where Brussels sprouts should come out. You know, so it was a cross between three kinds of things. 
Wow. And so a modern plant geneticist at the university working for industrial agriculture would say, mistake, time out, man, those people don't know what they're doing. We have to keep these rows straight. We have to keep uh, populations uh, up enough to keep diversity in them. Mm -hmm. We have to separate those varieties farther so that they don't get cross-pollinated. We've got all these rules for industrial agriculture. And guess what? Those are important for industrial agriculture. But not for us. But not for us. We're the ones that have always created all the diversity. And we've done it playfully by making mistakes, talking to each other, and then sharing the seeds around us. And that's what we need to rediscover if we're going to save ourselves. So so we're going to talk about this in a little while. We're going to talk about Seed School. Okay. um, And we're going to talk about Seed School online. Uh, But one of the things that you say about mistakes uh, in Seed School is what? Well, what's the worst thing that can happen? When you make a genetic mistake in your own backyard, something crosses uh-huh. your, your zucchini with a pumpkin from and a neighbor. A pump, pumpkini. And, and pump zinis, all right? What's the worst thing that happens? You get to eat it. You get to eat it, yeah. You're still gardening. <laughs> we, you know, we have to put this on the right level. There are no mistakes. Right. Or if you do like I did and I forgot to bring in a flat of greens one night that I was trying um, that were all from France. I got the seeds. It was um, Elliot Coleman, the great Mm -hmm. new organic grower, had talked about these really cold tolerant greens he was growing through the winter. So Uh I was trying them all and I left this flat outside and we had a 19 degree night. This was in the fall. It was before I got them into my greenhouse. And so my uh, now ex-wife at the time went outside to start a car and came in and, and she was shaking her head going, oh my God, you're going to be so... I know you put a t- lot of time and energy into getting those seeds and getting these flats and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, what? What happened? She goes, it was 19 last night. I go, oh my God. So I go running out to look at what had happened, the, the damage, a huge mistake on my part. And I come back in about five minutes later and I've got this huge smile on my face. <laughs> and she goes, What? what do you mean? What's going on? I saw it. They're dead. They're all dead. And I go, you're right. Except for one, one thing. Now I know of all these greens, what will survive a 19 degree night? That's what I'm planting. And it was cilantro, by the way. Oh yes. So, you know, that's every time you have a disaster mistake, flip it over in your mind and save the seeds from that and go on because that's what you should be selecting for. So, here in the de- we're in the desert here in Phoenix, right. Arizona, right. and I have this basil plant that showed up last summer, growing in a back corner of my yard that only got water every two weeks. Whoa! And so it it you know it grew out, it did its life, it flowered, it made seeds and spread the seeds, and before I could get to it to get cuttings, it had, it had died away. So desert only getting water every two weeks. Wow! This. It pops up out, another one pops up out there this, this past summer. Right. Again, right. only water every two right. weeks. Right. Right. And it, you know, it made it through most of the summer. It flowered out and it spread its seeds everywhere and died. And, you know, again, I was busy and I didn't get those seeds pulled. There's a whole forest of this basil See? in the backyard right now. I'm so excited about it. And it's, you know, it's this drought tolerant basil that I've almost selectively bred. Well, well, that's what I'm talking. You have just become an expert, playful plant breeder. (laughs) Yes. You know, that's exactly what we all need to be doing. Yeah. It's just engage with this process, even though you don't know what you're doing. And you are actually doing incredible adaptive, selective for your climate Uh work 
by allowing right. that to happen. Yeah. Giving it the space. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> so um, let's talk about plant breeding a little bit. It's, it's simple. Well, you can make it very complicated, and obviously it is. And so, you know... Well, it can be. Right. And so here's some context to try to understand it, because I still... Most of the people I meet still make this mistake. Um, we are, have become so industrialized and so centralized in the way our food product, food is produced. Most of us don't know where it even comes from, you know, mm -hmm. beyond the grocery store or whatever. But that has... Um, um, shaped our the way we look at everything and so we think that all food production and then thus all seed saving all plant breeding has to be done through this industrial lens right and so if you if your life depends on and or your living depends on your crop whether you're a market gardener a chef or a large-scale farmer you need predictability and to get that you usually get uniformity in your crops and so and that requires some pretty fancy plant breeding and um, using modern Mendelian genetics and supercomputers and now we even have genetic engineering that they're using you can do a lot of things to manipulate the underlying genetics and create this incredible uniformity and so what's happened though is that as a whole new generation of young people and smart people and mm -hmm. gardeners are reawakening to just how important and beautiful and health-giving local food is and, and mistakes we, are right and you want to get involved in your own thing the first thing that happens we think oh my god i gotta go get a phd in plant genetics in order to be able to save my own seeds you know that's the extreme what happens is look at the seed saving books that are on the market uh -huh. you know seed to seed susan ashcroft um, you've got um the new um, um seed book seed saving book out by the seed savers exchange which uh -huh. is really a wonderful book but you're talking 35 dollars you're talking uh, it looks like an old um uh, issue from the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh -huh. If you open up seed to seed and look, the uh, table of contents is done by in Latin. Oh Lord! You know, and so immediately, most new seed savers get this message like, "Oh, I'm going to have to really buckle down, and you know, learn. This is going to be this incredibly complicated scientific thing." And frankly, a lot of gardeners just blow it off. Hold on, that's not playful. No. In any way, shape, or form. No, no, it's not. And a lot of people, especially market farmers and, and, and that are at the next level up from home gardeners, say, Psh, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just yeah. going to buy my seeds. Why not just buy them? Right. They're better. I can see the colored pictures. I don't have to take part in any of that. And I can just get them. So mm -hmm. why, why bother? Yeah. And what I'm trying to do is get people to realize is that it's easy. It can be playful. Mm -hmm. You can have great successes like yours. Right. And that the real power and magic of gardening starts the moment that you do that. So in other words, every time you buy seeds, you're starting over. A really important right. cycle. Yeah. Your basil. Yeah. I mean, what happened, What would have happened if you pulled up your basil in your corner and every year you buy seeds from somewhere else yep. and you bring those in again yeah. and they are, they, they're adapted or they're not, mm -hmm. right? But you put up with somebody else's right. adaptation. Whereas if you save your own seeds, 
it's further down the road to adapting itself. That's the, that's the most magical and powerful thing a seed embodies. It's self-replicating technology, technology yeah. that can do that. So, well, and, you, and so I, I just want to call you out. You mentioned a couple of big, thick books. Yeah. You have a book. Well, my book is um, basic seeds. Yeah, saving. forty pages, and um, it's organized so the easiest things are to do in the front, right? So you can get started with almost knowing nothing about what's going on, uh-huh. and as you want to get deeper into this dark forest of complicated plant breeding, mm-hmm. which is natural, you know, it's nice to to get down the road and become a journeyman and get some experience under right. and and do things that are more difficult. Those things are in the book also, and you can do that. Cool. So what's one of the simplest ones? Are the tomatoes or are they? Tomatoes are, you know, they're the gateway drug to all gardening. Yeah, that is the case. As Mike McGrath says. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're the easiest and maybe the most reliable to save seeds from. Right. And you can save the seeds and still eat the tomato. And that's right. Exactly. So walk us through. So I've got this great tomato. I went to the farmer's market and, um, or I have this one growing in my backyard. I go harvest some tomatoes. Right. So, um, you know, if, you, if you've got a number of plants, pick the ones off the best plant. Okay. Whatever that means to you. Mm-hmm. Is it the one that behaved? Is it the one that came first? Is it the one that survived either the heat or the frost? Right. Right? That You can help this selection process. Mm-hmm. Nature around you is doing it. Just the fact that it came up and produced tomatoes mm-hmm. means a million variables were interfaced with the genetics in that plant that right. you'll never understand. <laughs> and none of us will. Right. Even modern plant breeders recognize that. They go, I, we don't understand all this. But we can recognize it and then save the seeds from what works best for us. So mm-hmm. pick a tomato off that plant um, and hold it with the, uh, uh, the top up where you picked it, right. the North Pole. Make that the North Pole okay. and then cut it at the equator. Oh, just right. slice it with a knife at the yeah, equator. Yeah. Uh-huh. Take the, each half into um, each hand and just squeeze out all the jelly and seeds into a jar that are that are opened up. The cavities are opened up. Or you could scoop them out with a spoon. You can scoop them out too. It's really easy. That way, easy you, can just to, that, well, that way yeah. you can still eat the tomato. Well, you can eat it. It's just a little squishy. If you eat it right away, you can just, you know, go ahead. Yeah. yeah and even if you squish them, you can dry them. You can have dried tomatoes, sun-dried tomatoes, uh, yeah, yeah. put them in a dehydrator. Perfect. Some people toss them all in a big uh, bowl and that's where they, they start right away to make their spaghetti sauce or oh, their yeah, tomato yeah, sauce yeah. for the winter. All right, so we have this this glass jar of seeds right it's jelly basically it looks oh, like right. frog's eggs it's oh, that yeah. jelly around each seed that keeps it from germinating in the tomato where it's warm and and damp you right. know that's what seeds like so you know this is a, a an evolutionary process that's evolved to keep them from germinating until it hits the ground mm-hmm. basically so anyway you you let them set this goopy stuff in a jar for about three days can be as long as five or seven if it's cooler. Mm-hmm. Sometimes as early as a day if it's hot. You'll know when you're ready because white fungus will um, form on the top of the jar. And people mm-hmm. go, oh my God, it's bad. No. No, that's good. That's good. That's actually bread mold. Okay. And inside there's yeast mm-hmm. that's part of this process, co-evolved, that eats that jelly off the seeds. And the oh. seeds then... Can the, the good seeds will float to the bottom, all the bad ones float to the top. Oh, nice. And then you can do what we call a water winnow. Uh-huh. Go ahead and fill that jar all the way up with water and let the good seeds f- fall to the bottom and then pour carefully pour out uh-huh. all the other stuff. And you won't get it all. You know, don't even come close to pouring out your seeds. I did that once. 
and it's a bad feeling when you <laughs> see your seats go down the drain because you didn't stop. Yeah. Right. So fill it up again. Do it again. Fill it up. Pour it out. Six or eight or ten times. Well, you'll you'll have really clean seats in the bottom. You yeah. pour those into a sieve or a screen. Mm-hmm. Toss that screen over onto a paper plate or paper towel. Get your pen out and label it because yes. you'll forget. Yep. You'll have a little tomato cookie, I call it, of seeds. Mm-hmm. Let it uh, dry for three or four days, and you may have enough seeds for your own garden from that one tomato for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's uh, that's then becomes the problem. I yeah. call it. it. The problem is if you get involved with seed saving, it's not just playful. There will be stress, and there's something you need to pay attention to, and that is you will have more seeds and you know what to do with and you're going to feel guilty yeah that's the abundance of nature why would i feel guilty well i don't know american gardeners feel guilty about everything in their garden if you've noticed i mean they're the most stressed out group of people i've ever been around i used to take a thousand phone calls a year from gardeners before the internet Uh and it was always like oh my god my garden didn't work it didn't come up or i've got too much zucchini or whatever (laughs) it is but they're always forgot to have fun with it and so in this way um, relieve that stress by sharing them Mm-hmm. And that's where seed exchanges and seed libraries yeah. are starting to sprout up all yeah. over the country. I just read yesterday, 500 seed libraries in the world in the last three years. Wow. 450 probably in the United States alone. This is, wow. people are waking up to this and they're starting to take part. Who started that? Well, the, the, I, like, I tend to think that it was one of those spontaneous things that's a reaction probably to the centralization of the seed industry. We've got mm-hmm. three companies now that own over 75%. Wow. Of the world seeds. And so the American reaction to that is, well, we're going to take it back and start our own thing. And yeah. libraries have been one of our most enduring institutions. So this idea has been going like wildfire all over the country. It's really got its boost through a woman, uh, Rebecca Newburn, mm-hmm. at the Richmond Grove Seed Library in Richmond, California, who not only started a, a seed library in her local library, but was a great um, middle school science teacher, went home and wrote down how to do it with all the forms and instructions. And so if you go to richmondgrowseeds.org, mm-hmm. you can, there's a little button that says start your own seed library. Bingo, you can push that and it'll take you into a world where, you know, my own estimate, two to 300, maybe 400 of these seed libraries in the U.S. were all started from by that, people that click that, that button. button. Yeah, so I it's, love that. Don't you love the internet that yeah. we can do this? And, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about... Um, so I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. And this is more a philosophical question. What drives you? <laughs> it's like, what's your big why? You know, I... I've got, you know, friends and, and, I, and I have an ex-wife who would say this about me. You know, after you're around for a long time, you start to, to um, actually listen to what people say about you. Because uh-huh. a lot of, there's probably more truth in it than you want to admit. Uh-huh. And um, a number of those people have called me a visionary. Mm-hmm. And, and so what does that mean? I don't know. I would have a tendency to agree with that because I've known you for a decade. What, and I would say that about you. No, and maybe that's you. why we're friends. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there you, go. you know, because it's obvious. I can ju- you can just see what is happening in the world right now and where it's going to go at this point. Yeah. And I felt that way a long, long time. And I, as I said, I got maybe my big why came from going to Novosibirsk in Siberia in 1989 mm-hmm. when I saw what it was like 
to live in the modern society that I want to live in. Mm-hmm. I mean, not I, let's not talk the politics or the Soviet Union right. part. I was just in a group where everybody had a free education through PhD, and there were 70,000 people in one city wow. who were smart people, history, poetry, literature, dance, English, whatever. Mm-hmm. So everybody, I loved that because it was just so stimulating intellectually, and everybody gardened. Everybody's they were making their own wine. They were, um, you know, crossbreeding, making their own tomatoes and peppers and making pesto. And it was just this incredible thing. And then they all saved their own seeds, mm-hmm. which pulled them into a multi-generational thing. Some of these people were saving genetics. Well, it was probably the best. They were part of the best genetics laboratory our planet will ever have for flavor in tomatoes. Mm. They were locked out of the Western world. They couldn't get catalogs. The only tomato seeds they had were the ones they either saved themselves or traded for. Mm-hmm. And they were all cutthroat competitive <laughs> for, the, for the earliest and best tasting. And so In Siberia. In Siberia. So just tasting fresh tomatoes, no, we're not saving those, right? And you do that with 2 million gardeners in Siberia over a 70-year period. Wow. And you end up with better tasting tomato. There's no denying it. You talk to any tomato breeder. These days, and they'll say the best flavor comes from Russian, Eastern European, or Siberian tomatoes. And so what does that mean? It means because they were saving seeds, they have given humanity a gift that will be recognized probably in a thousand years. Nice. So what are you doing today that has going to have any relevance? In a thousand years. In a thousand years. I love that quote from you. Well, you every time you save seeds in your own backyard... You are participating in maybe the most important ritual humans have ever been a part of. Mm-hmm. This idea of growing and saving and planting your own seeds. And you may now, because we've lost so much diversity, mm-hmm. you can help us grow back enough of it that we can actually survive the coming storms, I call it, whether they're climate or political. And that's what we really need to be doing. The more diversity we have, the better chances we'll have of growing food in situations that we can't predict right now. Perfect. And so, so, so that's what this, the end part, saving seeds connects you into. And so if you, you go ahead and buy your seeds, look, you know, do the seed porn, sit up late at night, look at the colored <laughs> pictures and get all your juices going. Uh-huh. You can do that or... You can get involved in the most important things humans have ever done on this planet to to create this civilization and to save it. That's the choice. So I want you to talk about the people of the pinch. I know I've heard you speak of that multiple times, and I want you to speak to that and you know and How, tell people what that is so that we can participate. Well, that that's this idea, and, and I, when I think about it, I always think about being in a dacha garden like I was in Siberia, where there's no roads, and every garden uh, touches. The next one so you can't tell where one ends and one starts Mm -hmm. and there's little pathways through it and the dachas in the Soviet Union were that I went to were about a mile out into the taiga into the wilderness Mm -hmm. they were carved out and so to go to work you had to walk a mile on a path through the forest to go to work instead of get on a car on a freeway right Mm -hmm. and so all these dachas then you have parties everybody's sitting out there and in a thousand years there's going to be a place like this on this planet that's abundant and beautiful and family-based and everything you could think of as far as fruits and vegetables and diversity. And they're gonna raise a toast and they're gonna say, you know what? You know who we should toast tonight? 
If you think about the history of humanity and how um, people took 10,000 years to create all the diversity that made up our food supply, and in two generations in the late 20th century, people lost the ball. They took their eye off what was going on. They went for this monocropping industrial agriculture. Mm -hmm. It destroyed 90% of all that diversity. And early in the 20th century, people started waking up again. And everybody whether they're industrial, modern, or rural, and realize that might be the most important thing that they could do. That if we increased enough of this diversity and did that over and over again, we could recreate what we once had. And so in a thousand years, we're gonna have that. Mm -hmm. And so they're gonna look at us as those people of the pinch, right? The pinch in diversity that happened in our food system. And so they're gonna look back at the people in the pinch, us, and say, wow, those were the most important people. They saw beyond the technological distractions of their day mm -hmm. or the religious dogma of their day or the political storms of their day. And they just sat down and saved seeds again, simply made all the mistakes, did it playfully, mm -hmm. started naming new varieties. <laughs> After your, What are you going to call your basil? Oh, my gosh. See? Urban farm basil. Urban baby. farm basil. See, here we go. And that's, you know, I said that to a corn farmer in, uh, in Idaho, and he looked up. He wasn't really interested in say, learning to save his own seeds. But when I said that, I said, we'll call it Nate's corn. He goes, oh, now you're appealing to my vanity. <laughs> we have to appeal to everything. Yeah. And that's the point. So yeah. uh, climb on. Let's have fun. Yeah. So let's talk about, I, I, I went to seed school, and you have a week-long in-person session called Seed School that you do two or three or four times a year. Tell us a little bit about what that is. Well, if you just listen to what we've been talking about, the most important thing maybe to do on the planet right now is wake up millions of people to growing mm -hmm. and saving their own seeds. seeds. So we have a six-day program. Mm -hmm. People have come from all over the world, probably had 700 people go through it now over the last five nice. years. I was one of them. You know, we had a Norwegian bachelor farmer come. We've had people from all over well, come. Did, what, a high up official's wife in the Mexican government? Well, in the uh, Mexican corporate life, so oh, shall we okay, call it. Cool. She wanted uh -huh. to come and save Mexico from Monsanto. Uh -huh. All right, And there you go. actually has the resources to do that. Yeah. I, you know, we don't know, you know, where this is going. But, I, you know, and we've had um, we've a good, maybe a third of the people are what, what I've come to call the, the young believers. Right. The new generation of young people that are waking up and are frankly going to live on a different planet than I grew up on. Mm -hmm. And this is very serious right to them this you know this is their life they see it now mm -hmm. and feel it and so and maybe a third of the people are um older and more retired and have more resources so we've set the program up so that we scholarship about half the people that come nice you know so that the people that can afford to pay for it actually pay for the people that can't mm -hmm. and we mix everybody up you get to live breathe and um worship i'll call it <laughs> with people that that um, love this movement and then you get to become part of this network of network people that of are people. doing it yeah and then, you know, so we've got a one-day version of that, Seed School in a Day. Seed School in a Day, yeah. We have an online version, thank you yep. very much, that yep. we've done through the Urban through Farm. Urban Farm U. You. Yep. And, um, and so now we're getting people from all over that get a chance. You know, we did the, um, you know, it's, I have like 30 years experience trying to get people to wake up ran my own company. Then we distilled that down into a six-day program. Uh -huh. We've um, now taken the best of all of that and all the responses that we have and put that into Seed School Online. So we've nice. got this new technology. So yeah. it really is an incredible distillation 
of just the really important right. ways that you can be playful. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see <laughs> and actually learn. And so, you know, what do you learn? I don't know. 13 of our students have started their own seed companies. You know, that on that end, um, countless libraries. I was countless at the, libraries, yes. I was at the International Seed Library Forum, and I don't know how many people mm -hmm. came up to me that were part of these this em new emerging network that had come to our seed schools. So. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. So you already mentioned books. Let's, uh, one final piece of advice for our listeners. Wow, just do it. You know, Evan Ansafro, who was our farm manager, I was the director at Native Seed Search for three years and uh, hired this young, a beautiful, young, brilliant man to come and work on our farm there. And uh, uh, the people around me just couldn't understand it. They go, well, you know, did you do a nationwide search? No. Did you, you know, how many PhDs does he have? It doesn't have any. Mm -hmm. How many actual years on working on farms does he have? You know, how many decades of experience? None. Mm -hmm. and, and yet he's become what, you know, it was just perfect. You know, we need brilliant, motivated, passionate young people are, are the most important resource we have. And drop them into any situation and they will invent a new agriculture for us. And that's what, that's really what I was trying to do with Evan. And he, you know, has been become one of my great teachers. And the other day he said to me, he goes, you know, Bill, the more I think about this, the more I realize all we have to do is get people involved with seeds. Just get the seeds in their hands and get them to plant them mm -hmm. and look to save them again. And everything else will take care of itself. That there is such a magic. And maybe it's even a primordial nature in us if you think about how this is what created our civilization this ritual mm -hmm. once we go back and do that there's some all these switches come on and and evan and i both have seen that so that's what i would say the one important piece of advice is don't listen to what anyone else says don't listen to any of the doubts in your own head mm -hmm. if you're in a small trailer in an alley somewhere and barely getting by get a pot Plant a tomato in it uh -huh. and grow and save your own seeds and select the best tomato ever for an alley trailer tomato and call it alley trailer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. that's what you need to do. So, Fantastic. So what's the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you? Um, probably the best way to do it. I'm bill at seedsave.org. .org, uh -huh. That's the, the shortest. I'm uh, also the director now at the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance, which is a nonprofit that we've started to um, help coordinate regional activities for this movement that are happening mm -hmm. in the Rocky Mountain West. Um, and so you can get in touch with me there. Perfect. That's it. Thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Uh, that's all we have for today. It was, this has been great fun for me. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed 
or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.